This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, and today I have the great pleasure of uh, speaking with Dr. David Gershenson, who is a professor and former chair of the Department of Gynecologic Oncology and Reproductive Medicine at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Welcome, David. Thank you, Pedro. It's great to be here and have an opportunity to talk about rare ovarian cancers. Yes, absolutely. The, the, the subject of this discussion is uh, updates on the management of uh, rare tumors of the ovaries, uh, particularly focusing on the mucinous, the clear cell, and the small cell. Um, and obviously, it, it's, a, it's a topic that is of significant relevance, um, and it seems like the definition of rare tumor keeps getting broader and broader. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you would consider a rare tumor in ovarian cancer today? Yes. Uh, as you alluded to, there are several different definitions of what constitutes a rare cancer. But practically speaking, I consider rare ovarian cancers to include malignant ovarian germ cell tumors, sex cord stromal tumors, and then the rare types of epithelial tumors, which are clear cell, low-grade serous, mucinous, and maybe low-grade endometroid. Of course, there are other other rare types as well. Carcinosarcoma would be one. Small cell carcinoma of the ovary hypercalcemic type would be another. But those would be the ma major rare ovarian cancer subtypes. Great. So we're going to focus on, on a few of those. And um, uh, we have also another podcast uh, by you on the low-grade ovarian tumors that certainly we encourage everyone to uh, listen to that great podcast as well. But starting uh, particularly with, uh, with the mucinous tumors, um, obviously it, it's, a, it's a category where we're always trying to determine is this a, a primary tumor of the ovary or a metastatic tumor from the gastrointestinal tract. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the distribution in terms of uh, percentages as to how many of these are actually metastatic versus primary? This, that's a great question, and it was actually not very well understood until a publication from the Gynecologic Oncology Group in 2010 in which they were able to study a cohort of mucinous ovarian cancers from clinical trials. And what they found was that about 70% of those supposed primary ovarian cancers that were mucinous were actually uh, gastrointestinal primaries, and only about 30% were primary mucinous ovarian cancers. And I think that's emblematic of what we now see. Uh, so they're much less common than we originally thought. So in, in the primary management uh, of patients with uh, ovarian mucinous tumors, uh, one of the discussions that frequently comes up is, should we stand by the uh, the old standard, uh, which is obviously platinum and, and taxane, or should we even consider that the old standard, or should we look to GI-based regimens like oxaloplatinum and, and 5-fluorouracil or capacitabine? So we know that um, in advanced mucinous ovarian cancer, stage 3 and 4 primarily, that the overall survival is significantly worse when you compare those patients to those patients who have uh, stage 3 or 4 high-grade serous carcinoma. Uh, secondly, there have been a number of retrospective or observational studies that have shown a very poor results or ineffectiveness of platinum taxane chemotherapy in stage 3 and 4 mucinous ovarian cancer. 
that led us to design a few years ago a clinical trial comparing platinum taxane chemotherapy to a GI regimen that included oxaliplatinum and capecitabine, and then there was a secondary randomization to bevacizumab or no bevacizumab. Unfortunately, because at that point in time we were just discovering exactly how rare this tumor was, there was very slow accrual and that trial was closed prematurely. So we didn't really um, obtain any meaningful answers from that trial. But that has led us to believe that it's possible that patients may benefit more from a GI regimen than a platinum taxane regimen. If you review the NCCN guidelines in stage three and four mucinous ovarian cancer, they uh, provide both options, platinum taxane or a GI type regimen with oxaliplatinum capecitabine. So it's an unanswered question but my own bias is that um, when I see these patients, I tend to, uh, although I discuss both options, I tend to recommend a GI-type regimen. But we still don't really have any meaningful uh, outcome uh, data that definitively tells us that it, that's better than platinum taxane. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, um, as, as you mentioned, when that study um, had to be closed due to low accrual of patients. Perhaps, again, it was uh, an, an, the concept of, of treating with GI-based regimens um, was not as, as, as embraced as it is today, and, and, and perhaps the, the current practices mostly reflect um, the uh, option of a GI-based uh, regimen for, for patients with mucinous tumors. Um, obviously, it, in the upfront setting, another topic that frequently comes up is, is there any role for um, hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy or HIPEC in the setting of advanced disease of a mucinous tumor that presumably is a primary ovarian mucinous tumor? Again, I think we don't have a clear answer. As we know, there was uh, one randomized study uh, published in the New England Journal uh, for ovarian cancer in general, epithelial ovarian cancer, not for mucinous carcinoma specifically, that did show some advantage to HIPEC. We also know that there's, uh, there have been experiences using HIPEC in mucinous tumors of the appendix, of the ovary, and other mucinous tumors uh, that may provide some improvement in outcome. But I, I personally still consider HIPEC to be um, investigational. And um, while I think it's reasonable to uh, discuss that option for patients who have very extensive or metastatic mucinous tumors of the ovary, uh, we don't honestly know uh, how beneficial it is at this point. And I don't think there ever will be, obviously, a randomized study with HIPEC versus no HIPEC in this population. So we, we talked about the, um, the chemotherapy uh, options, both platinum taxane-based, GI-based, but obviously now there is increasing interest in, in the role of more targeted therapy. And, and uh, is there any role for molecular profiling in mucinous tumors? And then as a subsequent follow-up to that, what's the impact of uh, mutations like KRAS mutations or HER2 or BRAF mutations in patients with um, ovarian mucinous tumors? In general, I think women who have uh, rare subtypes 
of ovarian cancer are really great candidates for genomic profiling because, again, the conventional therapies in general tend to be relatively ineffective. Uh, KRAS mutations occur in about 40% of tumors of uh, mucinous ovarian cancers. HER2 new amplification occurs in approximately 20%. So those are two great targets. Um, there also are occasional BRAF mutations um, that occur in mucinous ovarian cancers. So I definitely believe that genomic profiling um, is um, indicated, and it may be actually indicated at the time of initial diagnosis rather than even waiting, although there's no standard there. But I think there are a number of uh, potential uh, targets uh, uh, that are actionable in this uh, subtype. And do you know of any um, uh, ongoing trials or trials that are about to uh, start accruing uh, looking at uh, the use of this molecular profiling in the setting of mucinous tumors? Not that I know of. I think for the most part, because of the rarity of mucinous ovarian cancer, most of these patients are going to end up in uh, basket trials uh, of drugs that are targeting a specific mutation but there won't be any, uh, I think, trials specifically uh, uh, limited to women who have mucinous ovarian cancer. And can you br briefly just uh, explain what you mean by basket trials? Basket trials are trials that are uh, uh, mainly targeting a specific mutation that may, in a, may occur in any one of a number of different cell types, uh, ovarian cancers, melanomas, lung cancer, colorectal cancer, et cetera. Uh, so those those would be considered to be basket trials. Okay. So now changing gears a little bit to perhaps an even rarer ovarian tumor, uh, the small cell carcinomas. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the history of uh, the natural history of progression of uh, small cell carcinomas? Yes. Uh, small cell ca uh, carcinoma of the ovary hypercalcemic type is a very interesting, rare, extremely rare ovarian tumor. It, it tends to occur in young women. The average age is in about 23 to 25 in most of the studies that have been published. Of course, uh, by the definition, it's uh, associated with hypercalcemia, which needs to be managed. It tends to be diagnosed in the advanced stages. Uh, it rarely is diagnosed in stage one, um, but those would be uh, the primary characteristics. And Above all, it's a very aggressive type. So the uh, one-year survival is about 50%, and the five-year survival is 10% or less. So a very aggressive type, and we really need to search for uh, better therapeutics in, the, in this area. So in the point of uh, therapeutics, uh, you know, as you mentioned, given the, the very poor prognosis, even in the setting of a very early stage uh, small cell, uh, one would recommend adjuvant treatment. And what, what is your uh, recommendation for the regimen that should be used in patients with uh, small cell carcinoma? Great question. There's really no standard. I think in general, platinum-based chemotherapy has been utilized, either bleomycin etoposide, cisplatinum, paclitaxel, and carboplatinum. Uh, there's the six-drug regimen of inblastin, cisplatinum, cyclophosphamide, bleomycin, doxorubicin, and etoposide that our group has studied and published on. Um, but there's not really any one regimen that has produced um, 
remarkable results. But there are occasional patients who do have uh, great responses and uh, outcomes that are uh, surprising. But right now, I would say there's no standard. And previously, you mentioned the importance of uh, genomic profiling for mucinous tumor. Is there any role in the setting of uh, small cell carcinoma of the ovary for genomic uh, profiling? Yes, again, I think because um, conventional treatment is relatively ineffective for this tumor and we need to continue our search for novel therapeutics, genomic profiling is recommended. The major aberration in small cell carcinoma of the ovary hypercalcemic type is an inactivating mutation of SMARC-A4, which is a part of the uh, chromatin complex um, that has to do with gene transcription. Uh, but we've not really figured out yet a way to target that effectively. But there's a considerable amount of research that's ongoing. Um, we do know there are some clues and there are some, some reports of interesting observations in uh, treating women with this subtype in the recurrence setting. So then another one of the uh, rare tumors that often is, uh, is a topic of discussion and, and debate as it pertains to management is those patients with clear cell carcinoma. Um, just a little bit of the history regarding the natural progression of uh, clear cell. So clear cell carcinoma, like mucinous carcinoma, is predominantly diagnosed in the early stages, stage one and two, uh, in contradistinction to high-grade serous or low-grade serous carcinoma. Uh, we know that in many instances it arises from foci of endometriosis. It can also uh, be associated with hypercalcemia, although not as commonly as the small cell carcinoma we, we discussed. Um, but most of the patients are diagnosed in the stage one and two um, uh, stages. We also know that for patients who have early stage clear cell carcinoma, their outcomes are equivalent to those of women with high-grade serous carcinoma. But when you look at stage three and four, the prognosis is considerably worse than high-grade serous carcinoma. And that's led us to uh, develop and design a series of uh, clinical trials, uh, again, searching for novel therapeutics that we can then move into the front line. And so in the setting of your practice, in, in a patient that comes in with advanced clear cell carcinoma, can you speak to us as to what is your first choice of therapy? And then as a second to that, um, in the patient with stage one clear cell carcinoma, what is your recommendation for that patient? So for stage one clear cell carcinoma first, um, there is a debate about how effective chemotherapy is. If you look at the NCCN guidelines, they recommend a three to six cycles of platinum taxane chemotherapy. Uh, there are some who believe that chemotherapy is not really necessary or effective and therefore uh, surgery alone is treatment. And then there are also um, experts that believe that radiotherapy may be effective in the stage one and two clear cell carcinoma. 
when we look at this, the advanced stage clear cell carcinoma, the treatment is really no different than for high-grade serous, unfortunately, at this point, and that's a platinum taxane. There's a question about uh, the addition now of bevacizumab because we know that clear cell carcinomas do uh, robustly express the VEGF uh, receptor. And so adding bevacizumab to platinum taxane in the upfront setting for advanced stage disease may, may make sense, although there's not a, you know, complete data on, in this particular subtype that definitely shows an advantage. And there's been other uh, pathways that have been explored in clear cell tumors, uh, the PI3 kinase, AKT, uh, the mTOR pathways. Any options for targeted therapy in combination with chemotherapy? Well, we know that about 50% of clear cell carcinomas have an ARID1A mutation. Um, we also know that about 30 to 40% have a PI3 kinase, AKT, or mTOR aberration. I mentioned the angiogenesis pathway, and also uh, immunotherapy is of great interest because there have been some reports from some small trials showing uh, pretty remarkable responses uh, with uh, immune checkpoint therapy in women with recurrent clear cell carcinoma. There are, of course, now clinical trials in the upfront setting for ovarian cancer in general combining immune checkpoint inhibitors with chemotherapy or with PARP inhibitors. And uh, there will be some clear cell patients in some of these trials, and we'll get some clues, I think, about that. Um, but mainly, uh, novel therapeutics are being studied for clear cell carcinoma in the recurrent setting at this point. And, uh, you know, there is a, there is a study in the uh, NRG oncology with a drug called tazemetostat that is, again, a basket trial, but it will, uh, eligible patients would include those with clear cell carcinoma who have an ARID1A mutation in the tumor. And then, of course, there are a number of mTOR uh, PI3 kinase uh, inhibitors that uh, will be studied. So in, in your practice and in, in just taking us through the algorithm of, of your thoughts with regards to recurrent disease, for these three types of rare tumors, the, the mucinous tumors, the small cells, the clear cells, um, do you consider that all of these patients should be on clinical trials and, and that should be our priority and first option? I do believe that. I think uh, if, if clinical trials are available, that we really should... Uh, be considering these as a first priority. And again, that goes hand in hand with genomic profiling and other uh, molecular studies that may be conducted. Um, you know, we surprisingly learned recently there have been case reports of uh, an immune checkpoint inhibitor in women with recurrent small cell of the ovary uh, hypercalcemic type uh, with uh, pretty remarkable responses. Uh, even though these patients are not hypermutated. Um, and so we need to continue to study this. We've done a number of trials, for instance, in recurrent clear cell with the targeted agents, sunitinib, dasatinib, uh, cabozantinib, um, et cetera. Thus far, all of those uh, trials, uh, the re results have been somewhat disappointing, uh, but we do need to continue to study uh, novel therapeutics in the salvage setting for, for all of these tumors, 
And that's really goes, uh, is coupled with the genomic profiling. And you mentioned um, that immunotherapy may be an option for some of these tumors. Um, for which one of these three should there be a focus on immunotherapy or should we be targeting all of them? Is there, is there one particular um, tumor type where immunotherapy seems significantly more promising from the mucinous, the uh, clear cell, and the small cell? Well, I think the most promising right now is clear cell carcinoma. And there is an NRG trial that's uh, beginning uh, with an immune checkpoint inhibitor and an IDO inhibitor. And it will be interesting to uh, see what the, the results of this phase two trial produce. But the other, uh, the other type is uh, small cell carcinoma, hypercalcemic type. Because of these early reports of an immune checkpoint inhibitor, therapy and remarkable responses. Mucinous carcinoma, we, I don't really have any meaningful information uh, related to immunotherapy at this point. We are actually uh, studying low-grade serous carcinoma in the laboratory right now, so that, although we're not focused on that in this discussion, that's yet an, a third cell type uh, for which we are doing some preclinical research. Well, David, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Um, this has been incredibly informative. Uh, any closing remarks you would like to make? Yeah, I've, I've really appreciated the opportunity to spend this time with you talking about rare ovarian cancers. And I think, um, you know, I think we're very interested in uh, patients and patient advocates uh, joining us in this cause because uh, we know this is an unmet need and we need more clinical trials. We need more funding uh, for trials for patients who have rare ovarian cancers. But thank you. Excellent.